I'm recording this on the morning after the Democrat Raphael Warnock has become the first African-American to win a full-term Senate seat from Georgia. His campaign also turned out to be one of the most expensive in US history. So the question is, do any of these records matter? Welcome to the A-Level Politics Show, where today we will return to the US Congress and analyse the aftermath of the midterm elections, those congressional elections that occur halfway through a presidential term. We will ask ourselves whether Congress is truly a representative body and thus update the previous podcast I recorded on this matter. What is more, I'm giving this podcast away for free to everyone. It's Christmas after all. Yet long-term listeners to the show know that I do this every month. If you like what you hear, then why not subscribe for £1.99 a month and receive two bonus episodes that non-subscribers don't get. You'll also gain exclusive access to the complete back catalogue, nearly 100 episodes and counting. Deets are in the show notes. Now, on with today's episode. So a lot of students, when they write about Congress and representation, will focus solely on how many women there are in Congress or how many African-Americans there are in Congress. And they won't necessarily explain how we got to the point we've got to, um, or they won't necessarily have a broader view of what representation actually is. So I think it's good to perhaps define representation. Representation is about Congress resembling the people they serve focusing on whether it is socially representative, but it's also about considering elections and whether they make Congress representative, whether they are free and fair, whether a range of ideas and philosophies are allowed to flourish in Congress and whether members of Congress are affecting or are effective at meeting their constituents' needs. Do they stand up for the people they serve? So I'm going to start then straight away with this issue of resemblance. The 118th Congress, starting in 2023, is likely to be the most racially diverse ever. All the the statistics and facts and figures are still coming in from those 2022 midterm elections. But we think that it will be even more racially diverse than the 117th Congress. Non-white lawmakers make up over 55% of Democratic representation in the House of Representatives. For those women taking their seats for the first time in the House of Representatives, 62% of Democrats are non-white and 43% of Republicans are non-white. These statistics point towards a trend of greater long-term diversity and social resemblance. Each Congress since the 112th Congress has broken the previous session's record for the most racially diverse member makeup. CNN projects that a record number of women will be elected to Congress this year. It says that 149 women will serve in the House and the Senate. While there are far more Democratic women than Republican women, a record number of GOP representatives will be women in 2023. And as of December 2020, yeah, lots of 2020, 2020s, that's a long time in the future, folks. As of December 2022, so before the 118th Congress is sworn in, so numbers could change here, there were 54 African-Americans. What is going on uh, with my recording here? There seems to be a kind of C in the background. Uh, I might need to put some music in the background to, to stop the static. Sorry, folks. Let me start that again. As of December 2022, so before the 118th Congress starts, so numbers could change, there were 54 African-Americans in the House of Representatives due to the creation of majority minority districts. So it's no good just simply 
saying a load of statistics or writing down a load of facts, you need to give the reasons. And some of the reasons for this uh, high proportion of African-American representation in the House is due to the creation of majority minority districts. This is when congressional districts in the House are gerrymandered so that a majority of constituents are non-white in a specific district. And that increases the likelihood that a non-white candidate will come from that district. The locality rule also means that congressmen must uh, live in the district they represent. So let's go back to majority minority districts. Uh, the 54 members of the House of Representatives who are African-American uh, represent 12.4% of the total membership of the House. Now, that's a figure that is broadly, in fact, it's exactly proportional to the black and African-American representation in the wider population about 12.4% uh, of the US population, according to the 2020 US Census, uh, are African-American or and black. But I've sort of crowded out the field with lots of statistics about how socially representative um, the US House of Representatives and the, and the US Senate uh, are. But according to the Centre for American Women and Politics, only 25% of senators are female and only 28% of the House of Representatives will be female in the 118th Congress to be sworn in in early January 2023. That's a figure that has essentially stalled. There will be just there will be just two more women serving in the House of Representatives um, in the 118th Congress compared to the 117th Congress. There are only three African-Americans in the Senate. Maybe that's because the Senate is not gerrymandered. States uh, and state lines cannot be altered, whereas congressional districts um, in the House can be. And so that demonstrates it's still quite difficult for African-Americans uh, to win statewide office. The average age of a senator is 64, according to the Congressional Research Service. The Washington Post has claimed that it is, the, it is collectively, the 117th Congress this is, it was collectively the oldest Senate in US history. So we have this issue as well with majority minority districts. They're not all good. They tend to pack African-Americans into single districts that have limited geographic logic making it difficult for a representative to serve constituents. The surrounding areas are then whiter and perhaps more conservative and more likely to return a white representative. Thus, majority minority districts can create a ceiling for African-American representation. They are also not usually created for other groups like Latinos who are still dis disproportionately underrepresented. I'm going to start that again. They are minority. Now I'm going to start that again. Majority minority districts are also not usually created for other minority groups like Latinos who are still disproportionately underrepresented, underrepresented in Congress, despite the fact that they are the largest minority group in the US. I got there. After the break, we will be moving away from social representation and we'll be talking about elections more broadly, these midterm elections and whether they make Congress more representative. Right, I've I've had a cup of tea. Um, I feel uh, suitably fresh to carry on, um, and hopefully I won't uh, fall over my words like I did in the last segment. So, do elections make Congress more representative? This is the second way that we can analyse uh, Congress and its representation function and those midterm elections. So, well, the argument for yes is that 
Unlike parliamentary systems, the separation of powers allows voters to have separate votes for the executive and the legislature. This arrangement allows the electorate to select a member of Congress according to their ability to respond to the wishes and interests of their constituency. Their lack of executive influence over members of Congress ensures accountability to the public, not the president. By providing both delegates, these are congressmen on two-year terms, and trustees, these are senators on six-year terms, we have maximum representative levels in a way that alternative systems with two chambers, both elected every four years, cannot provide. What I mean by that is there are different types of representation. The delegate model has a representative that is responsive to the needs of constituents and does what constituents want them to do. And two-year terms require regular elections and regular consultation with constituents. So you're more likely to get a delegate model of consultation. Whereas trustees, this is more like the Burkean model of representation, owe you their judgment. They're elected for longer terms, our senators, six-year terms. So they, they're not constantly thinking about re-election. They can owe you their judgment. They can think with their conscience. Um, and that is also a form of representation. We call that the trustee model of representation. So the fact that we've got both in the US Congress, the trustees in the Senate, the delegates uh, in the House, means that we, we can maximise rep maximize representative levels. Owing to the different term lengths, congressmen and senators normally react to legislation quite differently. Elections are held every two years for the House of Representatives, as I've said. These elections are fixed. Politicians cannot choose to fight an election when it suits them, unlike in the UK. Now, this situation requires members of the House to constantly campaign on behalf of their constituents, the delegate model. Each constituent has three members of Congress. They have two senators and a member of the House of Representatives, unlike in the UK, where you just have one MP, especially if you, and that's especially problematic if you live in an area without much devolution, like in England. The composition, the composition, the composition of the Senate also changes every two years because elections are staggered. Voters also choose candidates in primaries. Candidates must therefore consider the views of loyal activists who vote in large numbers in these elections. Elections routinely lead to a change in power in Washington. The last three presidents have all seen their party lose a chamber, at least, of Congress two years into their term. The Democrats lost control of the House of Representatives in the 2022 midterms. The 118th um, Congress uh, will see the Republicans take control of the House. Sometimes a large number of seats change hands. One so-called wave election occurred in 2010 when Obama um, and his Democrats lost 63 House seats. Given that elections change which party controls Congress, we can argue that elections matter and that they do reflect the will of the people. However, let's not go too far with this argument. The winner-takes-all electoral system makes it very difficult for smaller parties to win. We have an incumbency advantage, which means that few elections are truly competitive. Gerrymandering or redistricting, which is the politically motivated design of the shape, size and composition of electoral district, districts, um, gives incumbents huge advantages. Remember, in the US, it is politicians um, in the state legislatures that decide congressional district boundaries uh, for elections to the House of Representatives. And the party in charge of those um, state legislatures often draws um, the shape of congressional boundaries to suit their own political prospects. This means that the re-election rate in the House was 91% in 2018 and even higher in 2022. Both parties 
have engaged in extensive gerrymandering, um, especially after the 2020 census. Even in the Senate, which cannot be gerrymandered, only one seat flipped from one party to another, that was Pennsylvania, in the 2022 midterms. And that may have only occurred because it was an open seat where there was no incumbent running. Now, we also have an issue where some sen senators represent millions of voters. Others, however, only represent a few hundred thousand. This is because Senate seats are allocated on geographical lines, two per state, whereas the House of Representatives is based on population. So we have some anomalies there which may affect how well elections make Congress truly representative. And I think gerrymandering really does limit the competitive nature of elections. And thus we can say that elections are not truly ensuring Congress is representative. If we go beyond resemblance, if we go beyond diversity, we need to see competitive elections. We're not seeing that, certainly not in the 22 midterm elections when very few seats actually changed hands. So representation is not just about diversity. It's not just actually about competitive elections. It's also about the members of Congress themselves and whether they have a range of ideas and philosophies and whether those ideas and philosophies are allowed to flourish. Now, the two major parties represent a broad church of ideas. These ideas are represented by the congressional caucuses and party factions. The Democrats, for example, take different stances on bank regulation, with progressive Democrats arguing in favour of the Dodd-Frank bill and new Democrats calling for a loosening of provisions for community banks. These factions within parties ensure that a broad range of interests and ideas are present. However, there are only two independent members of the Senate and none in the House of Representatives, as far as I can tell. The Democrats and Republicans jointly control 533 out of the 535 seats in Congress. But what do these members of Congress do? Are members of Congress effective in serving their constituents? That's another way that we can um, judge whether Congress is actually representative. Well, members of Congress are expected to bring back the bacon, that's federal funds, to the so-called folks back home, that's constituents to you and me. Marcy Capter secured federal funds to expand the Toledo farmers market. Members of Congress have, on average, 30 members of staff answering constituents' letters and drafting legislation. They have offices in their district, in their state and in Washington. Now, Capter won re-election in her Ohio House seat, despite it being heavily gerrymandered in favour of the GOP. She's a Democrat. Her decades-long service, uh, having a track record of delivering for her constituents, is perhaps what allowed her to win. So her way of representing the people was not just simply being a Democrat in a strong Democrat area. It was actually being a Democrat in a gerrymandered seat that favoured Republicans, but who delivered for her people, delivering that farmer's market probably helped. However, there are many pressures on a member of Congress which undermines their representative role, undermines their ability to truly stand out uh, for their constituents. Indeed, the cost of campaigning means House members need interest group finance. $8.9 was raised by federal candidates in the 2022 midterm elections. Campaign donors want something in return. According to the Centre for Responsive Politics, 29 Republicans in the House received a combined 13.4 million over their careers from oil and gas interests. All 29, 
they're all Republicans, by the way, signed a joint statement in January 2021 opposing the Biden administration's pause on awarding new gas and oil drilling leases. This example may show that politicians are doing the bidding of special interests who fund their campaigns rather than the bidding of the public interest in tackling climate change. We can also look towards partisanship and party control over members of Congress, and that seems to be increasing, leading to a lack of independent voices so important for representation. According to Roll Call, party line voting, where one party largely votes en masse, um, where um, the other party does the same in the opposite direction, averaged 72% in 2022 in both chambers. Democrats stuck together in the Senate in 98% of votes, a new record in 2021. Most incumbents face little competition because of gerrymandering. So do they need to take notice of their constituents or do they just simply uh, do what their party wants them to do so they can avoid a primary from perhaps a right-wing challenger if you are a Republican? Earmarks, this is the process of attaching funds for pet projects for members of Congress to build, have now been effectively banned in the House of Representatives, which has limited the possibility to win federal funds for constituents, which again has limited uh, that avenue with which you can break with your party to support a bill that might benefit your constituents. Now, a lot of people say these earmarks were corrupt um, because essentially it was uh, legalising um, bribery. It was winning uh, support uh, for a bill uh, in return for cash for your uh, constituency. Um, but the net effect of banning them has meant that there are fewer carrots with which uh, an administration uh, could give to members of Congress who are wavering, who, who are thinking they might not vote with their party because they might hold out the hope that a bill will benefit their constituents. That now has gone. Those earmarks have gone. And with it has a possibility, perhaps, that members of Congress uh, will be motivated in anything other than serving special, uh, special interests or serving um, their party priorities. Before we go on to the conclusion, um, I've just realised I made a factual error in the last segment um, when I was talking about earmarks. Earmarks are back, folks, as of April 2022. So you can now um, buy off uh, uh, members of Congress in both the Senate and the House of Representatives um, with funding for pet projects um, in their constituencies. Um, there are more limits um, on them than there were before, so they can't uh, be used to um, uh, fund corporate, corporate um, um, endeavours, um, but um, they can uh, be used to uh, fund all manner of projects. There are limits on uh, earmarks in terms of the percentage uh, that they make up of uh, the total bill, but um, they are back. And so perhaps we might see um, members of Congress from one party start uh, to uh, cross the aisle a little bit more um, if there is something in it for them and for their constituents. So maybe it's too early to tell, but I just thought I'd uh, chime in. I'm uh, recording this just a, a few days after the podcast uh, was released. Anyway, on to the conclusion. So what of my conclusion? I would argue that 
Congress is pretty diverse, especially when we look at racial diversity in African-Americans with the creation of majority minority districts. But that marks, I think, a, a, a wider problem with diversity. Only a quarter of the Senate are female. Um, only three African-Americans serve in the Senate. Latinos are still underrepresented. Um, but I think the bigger issue comes uh, with competitive elections and gerrymandering, which is fundamentally undemocratic. Um, Furthermore, uh, when we look at uh, what members of Congress do, and constituents tend to like their individual members of Congress, we see that they are, however, receiving money from special interests. We see uh, that a gridlock Congress often doesn't serve the constituents uh, in the way that they uh, would demand. And the high rates of incumbency leads to a staleness at the heart of Congress. I'm not sure it's a good thing that um, the Senate is so old. How can a chamber really respond to the needs and wants of younger generations, people who are listening to this podcast perhaps, um, when they are essentially your grandparents there making decisions? So I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. There'll be more facts and figures emerging from the midterm. So I may revisit this in a brief update for uh, plus, plus, plus subscribers. That's what I call my subscription service. Plus, 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 three pluses because it's so good. Um, in the coming months, I may do that. In the meantime, look out for the forthcoming plus, plus, plus shows in December 2022 on comparing pressure groups in the US and the UK and on socialism. Until the next time, take care and goodbye.